0: Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to This Day in History class, where we reveal a new piece of history every day. The day was April 11th, 1979. Ugandan dictator Idi Amin was forced to flee Libya when Tanzanian troops and Uganda National Liberation Front forces captured Kampala, the capital, and overthrew Amin's regime. Amin's rule was brutal, and his deposition was the culmination of eight years of genocide, economic deterioration, human rights violations, and suppression of his opposition— Uganda had been a protectorate of the British Empire since 1894, and in Amin's early adult years, he served in the British colonial army. He was a skilled but cruel soldier. From 1952 to 1956, he served with the British during the suppression of the Mau Mau uprising in Kenya. Even though he was known for his brutality during this time, He was promoted from sergeant to lance corporal, to sergeant major, to platoon commander. In 1959, he reached the rank of Effendi, the highest rank a Black African could get in the British King's African Rifles Regiment at the time. By 1961, he had reached the rank of Lieutenant. Amin was also known for his sports ability. He was a swimmer, rugby player, and boxer. In 1951, he became the light, heavyweight boxing champion of Uganda, a title he held until 1960. Uganda gained its independence from Britain in 1962, and Milton Obote became the prime minister of the country. By the mid-1960s, Obote and Amin had become close. Amin was promoted to major, then colonel. He helped the prime minister establish military training camps, and the pair were implicated in working together to smuggle coffee, ivory, and gold from Congo to trade for arms. In 1966, Amin was appointed chief of the Army and Air Force. But by the late 1960s, their relationship had taken a turn for the worse. There were a couple of assassination attempts on Obote's life, and Obote began to distrust Amin. Nevertheless, Amin was promoted to Chief of General Staff in 1970. But in January 1971, while Obote was in Singapore, Amin staged a military coup. Obote went into exile, and Amin set to work on promoting the military by putting military tribunals above the system of civil law and appointing soldiers to top government positions. Amin became President and Chief of the Armed Forces that year, field marshal in 1975, and then president for life. At first, Amin seemed charming and charismatic, and Ugandans welcomed his rule. He was seen as a nationalist, and he freed political prisoners and abolished Obote's secret police. But he also employed killer squads to murder Obote's supporters, mainly targeting people from the Acholi and Longo ethnic groups. But his reign of terror soon extended to people from all walks of life, including journalists, students, military personnel, diplomats, and tribal leaders. Internal security forces known as the State Research Bureau and Public Safety Unit acted as informants and terrorized locals, killing and abducting thousands of people. In 1972, he attacked Israel and Britain since they had refused to sell him weapons. Amin proceeded to force tens of thousands of Israelis and Asians who held British passports out of Uganda. Because he expelled such a significant portion of the workforce, manufacturing and commerce took huge hits and the economy collapsed, inflation skyrocketed. But Amin reveled in his power, sending telegrams to world leaders praising or insulting them. The world began to take notice of Amin and his ruthlessness, and Amin took advantage of the spotlight. He became known as the Butcher of Uganda. He supported the hijacking of a flight from Tel Aviv to Paris by the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. He ordered mass executions and had people's bodies dumped in the Nile River. He discredited criticism of his regime and made shocking remarks, like saying Hitler was right to kill millions of Jewish people. It's estimated that his regime was responsible for somewhere around 300,000 deaths. But over time, as the regime's atrocities piled up, people recognized Amin's facade and denounced his violence. Amin's allies and troops began to turn on him. In October 1978, Amin ordered an invasion of Tanzania. He sent troops into the country to annex the Kagera Salient, territory in northwest Tanzania. But with the help of Ugandan exiles, Tanzanian troops drove Amin's army out and invaded Uganda, capturing the capital of Kampala on April 11, 1979. Amin, a Muslim convert, fled Uganda with his four wives, some of his mistresses, and many of his children. He was offered sanctuary in Libya, but he soon left the country after a dispute between his bodyguards and Libyan authorities. He moved to Iraq, then to Saudi Arabia, where he was given asylum in the name of Islamic charity. Amin died in Saudi Arabia in August of 2003. I'm Yves Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you feel like correcting my pronunciation or my accent on anything that I've said in the show, feel free to leave a very kind comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, at t-d-i-h-c-podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through time. See you here in the exact same spot tomorrow. Hello again, I'm Eve, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a show that drops a little bit of history knowledge every day. The day was April 11, 1899. Chemist Percy Lavon Julian was born. Julian is remembered for synthesizing drugs and chemicals used to treat people with glaucoma and arthritis. His work also led to the mass production of testosterone and progesterone, as well as the development of a firefighting foam called Aerofoam. Julian was born in Montgomery, Alabama. He was the oldest of six children. His father was a railway clerk, and his mother was a teacher. Julian's father was strict and had high expectations of his children, all of whom went on to earn university degrees. Julian went to the State Normal School, graduating at the top of his class in 1916. He then enrolled at DePauw University in Greencastle, Indiana. In 1920, he graduated as valedictorian with a degree in chemistry. Julian wanted to go to graduate school, but his advisors suggested that he get a job teaching at a black school in the South where he would not need a doctorate. His father also wanted him to become a physician since he feared that Julian would have difficulties finding work in the chemistry field because of his race. But Julian wanted to stay in his field, so he took a job teaching chemistry at Fisk University, a black college in Nashville, Tennessee. After teaching there for two years, he was awarded a fellowship in chemistry to study at Harvard University. He got his master's degree in organic chemistry from Harvard in 1923. Though he had good grades, Harvard did not offer him the opportunity to serve as a teaching assistant, since Southern white students might not accept him as a teacher. So he stayed at Harvard for the next several years, taking on various research fellowships and small jobs to make money. In 1926, he took a teaching position at West Virginia State College, but by the next year, he had moved on to head the chemistry department at Howard University in Washington, D.C. While at Howard, Julian found a renewed interest in producing synthetic materials that could help patients dealing with illnesses. He got a grant from the General Education Board to study with the chemist Ernst Speight at the University of Vienna in Austria. Julian, like Spate, was interested in the ways that nature turned simple organic compounds into complex substances. He worked on finding a synthetic material that could replace soybeans, which were then being used to manufacture drugs like physostigmine. Physostigmine was used to treat glaucoma. Julian got his doctorate from the University of Vienna in 1931. At that point, he returned to Howard University, then went to DePaul University as a research fellow and teacher of organic chemistry. In 1935, he married his wife Anna Roselle, and they later had two children together. That same year, Julian and Dr. Josef Pekel, an associate of his from Vienna, succeeded in developing a synthetic chemical similar to natural physostigmine. DePaul's dean recommended that Julian be appointed as head of the chemistry department but the faculty did not approve this, calling his appointment inadvisable. Despite this, the Glidden Company, a manufacturer of paint, varnish, and chemicals, offered him a position as director of research and chief chemist. He took it and worked there until 1953. At Glidden, his work with soybean proteins contributed to the creation of a firefighting solution called Aerofoam. His work with soybeans also led to the synthesis of the sex hormones progesterone and testosterone, which led to an increase in the world's supply of them and reduced the cost of hormone treatments. While at Glidden, Julian also synthesized cortisone from soybean sterols or solid alcohols. Cortisone helps treat rheumatoid arthritis and other inflammatory diseases. Natural cortisone was extremely expensive to produce as it required the extraction of animal bile. But Julian's synthesized cortisone made treatment more accessible to patients. After leaving Glidden, he started his own company, Julian Laboratories in Chicago and Mexico City. He soon began making drugs synthesized from wild Mexican yams. Over the years, Julian got more than 130 chemical patents. In the last years of his life, he also dedicated a lot of his time to the civil rights movement. He continued to work in the lab until his death in 1975. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully, you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you haven't gotten your fill of history after today's episode, you can find us on social media at TDIHC Podcast. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a note via email at, this day at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow.